The Athletic. Hi there, good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Friday the 24th of November. I'm Adam Leventhal. Today, we look ahead to the meeting of the top two in England as Manchester City take on Liverpool. The caveat is, of course, that Liverpool haven't won at the Etihad in the Premier League since 2015. And it's the same story in Italy, Juve, Inter. This rivalry is, I think it's the bitterest rivalry in Italy. Plus, we'll gauge the mood at Everton as their first game post 10-point deduction awaits against Manchester United. I think it'll be lively and it'll definitely be one that everybody is likely to remember. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Adam Leventhal. We start at the Etihad, where at 12.30 on Saturday in the UK, live on Sky Sports or 7.30am Eastern on Peacock in the States, Premier League leaders Manchester City host second place Liverpool. Our Liverpool reporter James Pearce joins us. Now, the 3-0 win prior to the international break against Brentford was much needed for Liverpool after the draw against Luton and defeat in Toulouse. Do Liverpool therefore head to City with confidence? Yes, I'd say so. When you think about the overhaul and the, the, the major changes that went on at the club in the summer, I think they're, they're in pretty decent shape. I think if you'd asked any Liverpool fan before a ball was kicked this season, whether you'd have taken going to the Etihad after the November international break, just a point behind City, top of their Europa League group and in the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup, they'd have certainly taken that. And a good news for them as well in terms of bolstering the options at Klopp's disposal with Pinate, Gomez, Jones and Gravenberch all back training at Kirby on Thursday. Yeah, the caveat is, of course, that Liverpool haven't won at the Etihad in the Premier League since 2015, Klopp's first season in charge. This would be a great time to put that right. And Klopp, as we know, he doesn't like early kickoffs after international breaks, but there's no problem getting up for this one, is there? No, no, not at all. No, I think there is a danger with the 12-30 games after international breaks that they can be a bit flat, not just on the pitch, but off it as well, atmosphere-wise. But I don't think that would be the case, not when you've got these two powerhouses going going head-to-head. You know, they've, they've battled it out for the big prizes, you know, many seasons in the recent era. And despite Klopp's kind of dislike of this kickoff slot, you know, Liverpool are quite well-versed in it. Also, it helps this time around the fact that getting a private plane and getting all the South American players back quicker should help Liverpool as well because that quartet were all back at Kirby on uh, on Thursday for training. And you mentioned the battles of a few seasons ago going right to the wire. You're so close to Liverpool. Is there a feeling now at the club that this one, this season again, could go all the way between these two sides? I think it's probably too soon to say. I think probably cautious optimism. I think there's a feeling that Liverpool are in decent shape, but that there's an awful lot more to come and lots of areas for improvement. I think there's still a couple of big questions which may well be answered on Saturday to a certain extent, especially you know, that number six role as has caused some anxiety for Liverpool so far. You know, McAllister hasn't really nailed it down. It's not his natural position. Watara Endo has had quite a slow start to his Liverpool career. They haven't they haven't fully replaced Fabino. So that that's one area where you know Liverpool still have to prove themselves, I feel. And also you know, Andy Robertson is certainly being sorely missed at left back and he's not going to be back around into the new year due to a dislocated shoulder. So whether he goes with Costa Simacast or Joe Gomez at left back, that's another big decision for Klopp at the weekend. So, yeah, decent start for Liverpool. But I think this will be the real litmus test in terms of what is realistic this season. James, thank you very much. 
We'll come to the meeting of City as top two shortly, but elsewhere in the Premier League on Sunday at 4.30, it's Everton hosting Manchester United. It's live on Sky Sports in the UK. Tune in at 11.30 Eastern on USA Network. It's Everton's first game since their 10-point deduction for breaching Premier League profit and sustainability rules. And Patrick Boyland, who covers the club for The Athletic, is going to be there. What is that atmosphere going to be like? I think it's going to be electric. The response to Friday's news has obviously gone down really badly with just about everybody associated with Everton. Fan groups are already mobilising, for want of a better phrase, to make sure that the atmosphere is extra special, to, to create this intense, intimidating atmosphere. Goodison can be like that anyway. How will it manifest itself? What are we going to see? So one of the first things that happened after the news broke on Friday was that a group called the 1878s. They were a supporter group. They set up a crowdfunding page that has since raised over £40,000. And that £40,000 is being put towards a variety of different activities. There's going to be a plane flying overhead in the Manchester City-Liverpool game for maximum exposure, we're told. There's going to be banners. They printed 50,000 pieces of pink cardboard with the Premier League badge and the word corrupt and they're hoping that supporters they'll distribute them before the game and hoping that supporters will hold them up when the Premier League anthem plays at Goodison and then there are plenty of other things like banners uh, particularly protest banners but also banners just supporting the team so it promises to be quite special. Manchester United are going to be stepping into one hell of an atmosphere in general terms and considering Everton's fantastic run of form of late do you feel that this will be almost a, a galvanising element for the remainder of the season now for Everton? You would hope so. Before the international break, they were on a run of six wins in nine. There was clear evidence that under Sean Dyche's management, they were heading in the right direction. So you would hope they would continue those efforts. And if they, if they were to put together another run of form like that, then very quickly the picture would start to look different again. For my money, Everton have looked more like a mid-table side than a relegation battle of this year but there is a sense that they've now been dragged into the mire that instead of it being three from four at the bottom with Burnley the newly promoted sides and Bournemouth I think it, Everton are now added to that mix for now until they get some results hopefully under their belt so let's see how it goes but I think there's good evidence that if Everton keep the players they've got right now on the pitch fit and firing continue in the same vein as before that they, they'll be all right. And just a word on the off the field situation. Obviously, you've mentioned about the protests. We know that those points have already been taken off the team. They're now on four points. What is the next step in terms of the legal side of things? Has that moved on at all? The club, straight after the news broke on Friday, announced its intention to appeal against the decision. So there will be a new appeal heard in the new year. We're told that will happen before the end of the season. So we'll get another adjudication whether they're going to, the independent commission are going to keep with the verdict, they're going to uphold that verdict, and it'll be 10-point deduction, or whether potentially, as Everton hope, they'll either not get a sporting sanction at all or that deduction will be lowered. The formal paperwork for that is yet to be submitted at the time of recording, but it's underway. And the expectation is that will come by the end of the week, potentially. So I wouldn't be surprised to see stories break pretty soon that Everton have formally appealed and then they'll go at it hell for leather to try and get this either overturned or reduced. Great, Patrick. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. 
Now it's worth marking your card with a couple of other standout Premier League games. Third place Arsenal travel to Brentford on Saturday, plus fourth place Spurs will aim to get back on track after two defeats before the international break, but they're hosting Aston Villa, who are in great form at the moment. There's Newcastle against the resurgent Chelsea as well. So there's lots to look forward to. Let's head now to Italy, though, where Juventus in second in Serie A host leaders Inter. The game takes place at 7.45 on Sunday night in the UK. That's on TNT. It's 2.45 Eastern on Paramount+. Plus. James Horncastle is the Athletics' Italian football writer. Now, we were talking, James, earlier on about Liverpool against Manchester City, the biggest game of the Premier League season so far. How does this game compare? Well, it's actually quite similar because... You could say that these are the two most successful teams in Italian football. AC Milan would come into this conversation and say, hang on a minute, we've won more Champions Leagues than these two teams put together. But I think what makes the Derby d'Italia, the Derby of Italy special, is how bitter this rivalry is. I think it's the bitterest rivalry in Italy because of 2006, which was the Calciopoli scandal, when Juventus had a couple of titles revoked, they were relegated to the second division. One of those titles was controversially given to Inter. Inter felt they were due some league titles, particularly if you go back to the Stagione di Veleno, the season of poison back in 1998, when in this game, Juventus against Inter, there was a very controversial incident where the original Ronaldo ran into Mark Giuliano, or was he fouled by Mark Giuliano? Inter wanted a penalty, they didn't get it. And uh, to Interisti, this was seen as symbolic of Juventus's hold on the game, if not a little bit more. So there's a lot of bitterness, but also it's the top of the table clash between the two title contenders. Inter currently top by a couple of points, got the best attack, playing the best football in Italy. Juventus have got the best defence. And this game will be a measure of whether Juventus are a match for Inter and can win the title for the first time in, what, three or four years. And both sides, as we know, they're stacked with star players. Where do you see the key battles on the pitch? Probably out wide, because on Inter's left, I think they have probably the best left back in the league at the moment in Federico Di Marco, even though, again, AC Milan would say, hang on a minute, what about Teo Hernandez? Di Marco loves to come inside and be one of those inverted fullbacks. And Juventus have a player on the same flank, Andrea Cambiaso, who likes to do the same thing. So that's going to be very interesting. Lautaro Martinez is the best striker in the league at the moment. As much people got excited about Victor Ozyman and Dusan Vlajevic, Lautaro scores 20 goals every season, all kinds of goals. His strike partner, Marcus Turam, brilliant impact so far this season. Marcus Turam is a France international, but he was born in Parma because uh, Lilian Turam was playing there. At the time, his dad, Federico Chiesa's dad, was also playing for Parma uh, around that time. Chiesa, who will be playing for Juventus, Chiesa had a fantastic international break. I wouldn't say single-handedly responsible for Italy qualifying for the Euros, but looks in great form to going into this game. So lots of attacking talent. But as I say, it'll be very interesting to see uh, how these two teams defend because Juventus have become very, very comfortable defending in the way that their coach, Max Allegri, absolutely loves. And it's prediction time. You have to call it for us. How's it going to finish? So I think Inter's success over the last few years has been that they've become what Juventus were. They 
started that process by taking Juventus's chief executive, who's essentially a sporting director, Beppe Marotta, who you know has assembled a team which is you know, quite Juventus-like. I think Inter are the best Italian team since Juventus in 2015-2017, when Juventus reached two Champions League finals. They're the most complete team. And so even though this game is in Turin, I'd be surprised if Inter don't win it, particularly because their manager, Simone Inzaghi, knows how to how to win these kind of big one-off games. We shall see. James, thank you very much. Quick look to France for you. It's first against third on Friday night. PSG Monaco. That's on TNT in the UK at 8 o'clock or 3 Eastern on BN Sports. Elsewhere in Europe, Bayern Munich could go back to the top of Bundesliga for a few hours at least ahead of Bayer Leverkusen if they can beat lowly Cologne tonight. Live in the UK at 7.30 on Sky Sports. That's 2.30 Eastern on ESPN Plus in the States. So you have plenty to look forward to this weekend to watch and to read because if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, then now is the time. Our Black Friday deal is running all this week. You just have to head to theathletic.com forward slash briefing and you'll be able to sign up for $1 or £1 per month for the next 12 months months. So it's a deal. It's a steal. It's sale of the century. I've been Adam Leventhal. Your producer was Abby Patterson. Executive producer was Ian McIntosh. Tim Spears is going to be back with you on Monday to tell you everything you need to know from all the games that matter. Oh, and if you want to preview it all, check out the Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview with myself and an excellent panel once again. Take care. Enjoy your weekend. The Athletic.